Hey, it's Steve and welcome to Share, a podcast that sets out to do just that. From stories and reflections to ideas and concepts, each episode will dive into a wide range of topics and discussions that come from a journey through life. The simple fact I've discovered is when we share, we empower, not just ourselves, but each other. Just three days left till the end of 2024, and I've put together another tasting platter of the best bits of Share podcast in 2023 for you to feast your ears on. For me, listening back through the interviews, it's been hard to select all of the best bits because there's just too many. However, what I wanted to do is give you a feel for the episodes and it may provide a reminder on a key section to entice you to go back and listen to the episode in full. Whichever and whatever way this episode works for you, I hope that you can take at least one thing away that you can implement and take action on in the new year. Let's get into it. Paul Hodgson is a loving husband and proud father who has had an accomplished career. In episode 10, his thoughts on being a father and advice when it comes to career were both so valuable. Can you tell me what have you learned most about being a dad? That you think you're teaching your kids and you're helping shape your kids, but it's actually the other way around. So my Mm. biggest teachers are my four kids and the whole nature, nurture, how much is DNA, how much is who they are. They are humans, right? They are decision-making humans from very early on, and your job is to nurture them, love them, hopefully not damage them too much, but we all are damaged a little bit by our experiences because they're so acute at that age, and it's very much you're really trying to help them be the best they can be of who they are. You're not trying to make them into something. They're not pieces of clay that you can kind of just mold And also that they're very different. Our four kids are all beautiful, love them to death. But my God, that four kids, four brothers and and sisters could be so different is quite interesting. I remember before we had our first one, we read all the books as you do when you're the first, you know, you're reading the books. And effectively, you could throw them away. I mean, they're, they're quite useful in some ways, and some of them are quite funny. But Kids know what they want from pretty early on. They know who they are pretty much. And sometimes you actually just have to hold up the mirror for them so they can see who they are because you really get it. I don't know if it's right to recommend another podcast on a podcast, Steve, but I've started listening to Hamish Blake's How Other Dads Dad, and it is fantastic. I'm not a big podcast listener. I probably shouldn't say that on a podcast either, but that one is one that I just love. I'll have to check that one out. That sounds that sounds good. And I'm we're all about sharing, right? So books, podcasts, whatever you can you can share away. Yeah, well, I've, I've I only listened to about three or four so far. I listened to Eddie Betts talking about it, uh, the AFL player. I've heard Joe Brum, who created you know the creator of Bluey and how he dads. And I can't remember his last name, but uh, an English comedian who's on Breakfast Radio, I think, in Melbourne a guy called Christian, and that was just, I was on a plane actually listening to that one and I was laughing out loud. I think people thought, wondered what I was listening to. But it's just, it's great because actually I think there's much more mums and mothers talking about, you know, being mothers together. I don't know if there's a lot of dads talking about being a dad. And I think it's very difficult to know what a dad is. I think most people would say that their experience of fatherhood from their own dads and from their grandfathers has changed a lot. And so in some ways, it's quite common perhaps for people to wonder, what is it to be a dad? What is it to be a father? What am I supposed to do? If my grandfather was the one that dealt out discipline, 
or if my dad was the one that was only there on holidays or, you know, when we were going to the football or something, but not really there, you know, helping unload the dishwasher or putting out the washing or showing me how to clean the house or, or how to sit and read a book gently with me. What, what is being a dad? And so I'm really enjoying just, I think the lightheartedness also, you know, not making it too stressful, not making it too serious, but, but just that empathy of how difficult it can be to be a person in the world sometimes and particularly as a parent. What are some recommendations for those at the moment that are kind of between careers or looking for a new job? I think the key one is, well, there's three things I think are important. One is confidence. So there's a little bit of a fake it till you make it, right? It's very easy, particularly if you're out of work or you're a new entrant to an industry, to look at everyone else and be quite, feel quite inferior. But confidence is really important. I've been mentoring university students since 1997, so what's that, 26 years. And confidence is the major issue that I find, is that people go, I'm going out into a market, I graduate at the end of the year, you know, there's going to be 5,000 graduates across the country and international students as well that are all trying to get these jobs and I'm just one of many, how am I going to be able to do this? And so there's a, a sense of, lack of confidence in their own ability. The other one is to actually really know who you are. What do you enjoy doing? And what are the life experiences you've had? What are the work experiences you've had? How do you think? How do you act? What makes you get lost in, in the flow during a day? What, what are the things that might give you more energy during the day? Understanding that, I often ask our mentees, if they don't know what they enjoy doing, and don't think about a job or a title or occupation or go on to seek, think about from yourself, what is it that I like doing, right? So I, I can't see you, Steve, spending all day looking at spreadsheets. That's right. Or writing a report. And you and I are quite similar like that. I could do a little bit of that, but there are people who that's what they want to do. And the thought of hosting a podcast, standing up on stage, presenting, facilitating a workshop in a room with butcher's paper and whiteboards and where they would rather die, almost literally, right? And so the whole idea is to actually understand what it is because if I go, let's say I'm interested in real estate. Well, actually, what are you interested in real estate? Well, I'm actually really good at organizing properties or I'm really good at, I like doing all the spreadsheeting and I like doing the payment side or I like understanding or I like being the person that's out there at the open home chatting with people or I'm like the person so all of a sudden you can go well actually I now I'm finding out more about myself so that when I'm trying to find a job I'm not competing against a sea of people just like me I actually know now how I'm unique and finding a job is really about finding your uniqueness finding the right match culturally in a fit, but also in, in an approach. You want to find a team where you will add value and people around you will complement your skill set as well. So they'll do the things you don't necessarily want to do. So I think it's about fit is the really important one. I think it also takes a discipline. So when I've had periods where I've been made redundant or I've, I've exited a job early and to nothing, and sometimes that's been as long as seven months and I've had four kids and been the sole breadwinner, right? So all those types of things have been, have been a, a challenge. Bring a discipline to it as well. So I'll often then have a spreadsheet and I'm not a spreadsheeting kind of guy. 
but I will write down the jobs that I've applied for. I will put closing date and I will use it like it's a sales development process and I'm the, I'm the product, right? And I'll go, okay, that one's closed. Did I get feedback? What did the feedback say? What does that say about what I might do next? I might need to describe my experience a bit more. I might need to hone my interview skills. I might need to do a short course. Well, maybe that's not the one for me. So I'm not going to apply for jobs like that anymore. But over here, I'm getting a bit of interest for people who want to employ me. Maybe I need to lean into that a bit. What's that about? Why are they looking for me? So it's a bit of an analysis on that. But also getting up each day, a few times I would put the suit on, I'd get ready and I'd go into the city and I'd sit in a coffee shop and I'd have a, have a coffee. Sometimes it'd be somewhere where I knew that people I knew would be wandering in and out and, and I'd make it look like I'm waiting for a meeting or something. But it's that positive step to get up in the morning and kind of go, okay, I'm working. I'm, I'm part of this. I'm not, I'm not sitting on the couch kind of thinking about, well, what could have been or how do I do that? But it's again, it's, it's trying to be positive about it bit of fake it till you make it, but understanding. But confidence comes from being knowing who you are and, and what it is that you want to do. So even if it's write your own position description, because if you write your own position description for the job that you would like to do, then you are much more likely to find that job than if you're just being reactive to what's being advertised. Episode 11 was with the gorgeous Aneta Shidletska, who spoke of her addiction to learning, to upskilling and growing in life. As a holistic transformational coach, she gave her reflections on how to unlock our potential and also how she supports people to navigate through past trauma. So what are some of the things, not just from Koloshi, but working in that transformation perspective in different roles, what have you found are some of the key things that unlock the potential in people? Knowing who they are. So again, being self-aware of what is going on and how, how they're showing up for themselves. So on a mental level, so I always, again, that's why I'm a holistic coach, because I like to look at all the levels. So understand on the mental level, what are the programs that I'm running? Yes. What are my belief systems around my career? What's possible for me? Do I believe in my self-worth? What is the narrative that I have for every day? And then we're going, are you problem focused or solution focused? How loud is the inner critic? Oh, maybe you're so in tune that you have the cheerleader. Yes. That you have supporting, supporting voice. So knowing what's going on on the mental level, step one, yes. Then understanding what are the emotions that are running you. When you wake up, do you have that space for gratitude, appreciation for you being awake, healthy, serving somebody in your role, yes. Grateful for your family, grateful for being here right now on this planet Earth. Anything, small things. So what are the emotions that are running you? Then we go, of course, to the body. Because if you're not looking after your body, your thinking will be off. And your emotional self will be off as well. So are you exercising? At Koloshi, I would say that 95% of team, if, if I would say not 100%, are moving their body. You know, they have ice bath, they do breath work, they go to sauna, they meet up together to, to do F45. During the lunch break, I'm on my lunch breaks, I go to do Pilates with some of the team members or other team members go for, for walks, yes, just during the lunch break. Because we know that if your physical body, this, this, this vehicle, this meat costume that you have that is allowing you to propel you forward, to move you forward, if this is not operating well, if your gut is not well, your thinking will not be clear. You'll be too tired. You'll be, you will have foggy, foggy 
way of thinking. You will get yourself into worries and loops and of procrastination because it starts from the body, yes? And you don't get too many better environments than the Gold Coast to facilitate that kind of lifestyle, hey? Yep. Well, you're my neighbor now. Yes, I know. I know. Looking forward to uh, more beach walks down at Casarina. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I look forward to it too. Yeah, that's exactly right. If anyone's listening, they want to unlock their potential. What are some key questions? You've touched on, on the key areas, but what are some key questions that you can kind of summarize there that, that they need to ask themselves today? What do you want in life? Because your potential already, like you said, it's already here because you want that something. So what do you want? And then ask yourself, how are you holding yourself back? Yes, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. What is that your way of thinking? It is that your way of what beliefs you have, or is that your way that you're looking after your body? So I always go to all of that. Yes, yeah? so th- that doesn't change with any question, because if you're not unlocking your potential, there are roadblocks, and the roadblocks will be, you know, as I said, mental, emotional, physical, or spiritual. Focusing on what you want, pinpointing what you want, yes, and allowing yourself to let go of those roadblocks and step in physically in that desired identity and allowing yourself to let go of current identity. So there is the current identity that you have for yourself. Then there is your goal, the goal identity. You have that goal identity and there are the roadblocks. Remove the roadblocks. Who can remove the roadblocks? Only you can do it. Who is holding you back? You holding you back. Who is not doing work? You're not doing the work. It's not the environment that will come and give you permission. It's not the others that will say, hey, amazing, Stephen. I'm like, so believe in you. No, it's like you believe in yourself. You give yourself permission. You go forward. You expand your comfort zone. You expand your nervous system. That's because we can only stretch out as much as our nervous system allows us. So by doing simple thing, breath work, somatic experiencing, ice bath, ice showers, and meditation, you're coming down the nervous system that you can start doing more brave actions, yes? And you can challenge yourself and you can, again, am I living my life from a love perspective? That's what's mine is mine. And if I desire that, it's already mine. Where? Why? Because it lives inside me. You desire different things than me, yeah? But I desire that lives inside me. I would not want to do it if I wouldn't be alive. So it's mine. And what I have mine, so what I have to do is like push through my mind obstacles, take full responsibility and live life from love and abundance way of seeing things. How are you unlocking past trauma? How are you unlocking some of these things? How are you healing how are you getting people to heal heal within themselves, I suppose? Yeah, so I'm not the healer. I'm, I'm the support. I'm, I'm the guide. They are the one that healing because they are the one that are empowered to, to take everything that I'm putting on the table and they can peek and they can transform and choose their transformation so they can feel, again, more empowered. And there's nothing more attractive than taking full responsibility for what I'm doing, not putting that on a... Uh, doctor, healer, coach, whatever it is. It's like, it's, it's my responsibility. They might know something more than I do. They will put that information on the table and then I might pick it up. So in my sessions, I like to connect to the mind, to the heart, to the body. The, the first step will be 
let me educate you on what can be possible, what possible scenarios, why you are the way you are. So then we go to the family systems, we go to the inner child, to connection with different parts of who you are, understanding your triggers. So you have understanding because our mind likes to know. But when we understand something and know something that is not enough for us to change, it has to be done again holistically. Yes. So we have the mental aspects of, of understanding what's going on. Then we're going to connect to the nervous system. And with the nervous system, it can be any of the somatic experiencing, feeling the, the emotions, feeling the sensations, connecting to them and allowing them to be, inviting them, welcoming all the parts of yourself. Yeah? So the judgment, the shame, the anger, the resentment, the people pleasing, we're welcoming all of that into your being and just being with it, allowing it to be in your body, giving it permission that it's, there is nothing bad to ex- by experiencing that. So we, we allow that to, to be in our physical body. And then we get the learnings, the messages from that. So that's more on a somatic experiencing. I do as well energy work, so it, which is Kundalini body work, body de-armoring, which is more connected with working with a trauma that is in your um, muscles, in your tissue. Um, and through, again, breath work, guided visualizations, making, uh, making sounds, gentle touch, we're allowing the body to release tension, stress, and dysregulation. And at the end, as a part of me as coach as well, so I give the practical tools, okay, what can we do for the future? So I give you tools that you can implement, growth work, podcasts to listen as well. So not enough that we've done the work in the office you creating that new neural pathways of thinking, feeling, and being when you're not with me, when you're not seeing me. Yeah, wow. It was game on in the 12th episode as global motivational speaker Eric Bailey shared his story, and I particularly liked how he spoke on taking opportunities. They say you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, and one of the shots he took propelled him forward further to who he is and what he does today. His advice for those down on their luck will help pick themselves up and keep moving forward. Who are some of the people that have kind of left the most impression on you? I'd have to say Sir Richard Branson. In 2009 or 2010, I was speaking in, in Melbourne. And after the event, I sort of was at the airport. And there were some people from the, from the event at the airport. And we were talking. And, and then I decided that I'd have a little conversation with him. I was walking outside. And somebody asked me, so, you know, what, what's your big plans? And I was like, you know what? I'm throwing it out there. I said, you know, I'll, I, want, I want to get on the stage and I want, I want to travel the world. I want, and I want to speak with, travel the world with Les Brown or Arnold Schwarzenegger. I, I, I want to be at the big events. And uh, a week later, I was speaking and I was waiting for a taxi. And someone saw me and goes, oh, wow, that's Eric Bailey. I can hear him. Eric Bailey. Can't, Eric. You know, we heard you speak a month ago. Can we have your autograph? And I said, sure. And then they said, oh, we, we think you must be in the wrong line. I was like, what do you mean? Oh, the, the, these are just regular taxis. The, the, the corporate cars are, are down there. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. And I remember hearing someone saying proximity is power. So here, if I want to travel with the world's best, I got to live like the world. You know, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I'm not downgrading anybody for doing Uber or white cab or whatever, yellow cab. 
But, you know, if I, I had to put myself out there. So I, I walked down and the guy said, where are you going? I says, well, you know, I'm going into the city. So I jumped in this corporate car and, and my mind was thinking, man, how much is this going to cost me? Wow. What, what did I do? And so he was on the phone and then he got off and then he said to me, oh, you know, in this job, I get everybody. And he goes, yeah, that that was a lady who runs events. And she was just telling me that she just if I heard about a speaker, they just lost one of the speakers that got sick. And I was like, well, I'm a speaker. Oh, what, what do you do? And I start telling what I do. And she goes, give me a number and I'll transfer. So anyway, the lady called me and said, no, what do you speak about? And I said, this is what I speak about. And she goes, well, well we're, we're on the Gold Coast. Where do you live? And I said, oh, I live in Brisbane. And she goes, we've got this a big event. There's a thousand people coming. Is that something that you would do? Being sports background. And this was before, you know, all the Facebook. There wasn't a lot of that going on. And so she invited me to speak. And she said, listen, it's a 20 minute spot. And I went did my thing. And afterwards, she goes, oh, that was fantastic. Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sir Richard Branson's come to town to do a tour. How would you feel about you being the opening for, for those when they toured Australia? That's how it started. Wow. I believed in myself. I took a chance, spent a little bit of extra money, and the opportunity came. And that's how it started. And from that, I've been able to speak in 13 countries almost four and a half million people I've presented in front of. And it's just been just an amazing, just amazing roller coaster ride with, with speaking and small groups, big groups, you know, platforms. It's, it's been, I'm blessed, man. I, I, I can't complain. Now, Eric, I want to ask you. Yeah. Someone sitting there today, down on their luck, cards stacked against them. What advice have you got for them today? Remember why. Remember why. Every day I get up, I remember why I'm here. And because my why is not solely associated with who who I am, my why is associated with what I can do. And no matter what industry that you're in, if you're a receptionist, if you're uh, in retail, hospitality, real estate, healthcare, manufacturing, whatever it is, you are here for a reason. You were born and you were blessed with unique set of talents. None of us are the same. And every single day, no matter what's going on in your life, you have the ability to bring that talent, that skill, that passion, that enthusiasm to the world. I totally believe that when people truly can connect with the why and understand what the purpose is, it makes it a lot easier for them not to get bogged down into the what's happening at the moment. If life isn't giving you what you want right now, if you're not getting the results in your life that you truly, truly, truly desire, I want to say this to you. Please do not give up. Don't run away. Don't feel like it's hopeless because somewhere in the world, there's someone out there who would gladly trade in their what's happening to them for what's happening to you. They will gladly go, hey, man, I'll take that. I'll have that. Chances are, if you're listening to this right now, you have some good stuff going on in your life. If you're, if you're on a podcast, if you're watching this on YouTube, you know what I'm saying? You got headsets, you got a mobile, you've got an Android, you got a new 
iPhone, 50, whatever it is, you got some good stuff happening. Lean into the good stuff. Find a reason to have some gratitude and remember that only you can change the circumstances. We don't get what we want in life. We get what we work for. We get what we work for. Work is not always going to be fun. Work is not always going to be laughter. Work is taxing. To be successful, it just doesn't fall from a tree. You got to go and plant those seeds and you got to develop them and work them and watch them grow. That's what I would say to anyone out there who's listening to me right now and feeling as if maybe they just beat down. I have a saying, and that is, I was born and raised in the hood. You can take a boy out of the hood, but you can't take the hood out of the boy. You see, even at 63, sometimes I feel hopeless. Sometimes I feel overlooked. Sometimes I feel like I'm an outsider. And sometimes I feel a little bit depressed. I still have a little bit of that hood mentality in me, but I've learned how to keep that hood mentality in check. I don't live in the hood anymore. I live in a community that I'm, I'm flourishing in. I live in a community where I can be the best version of myself, where I can give back to my grandkids and my daughter. I live in a community where I can go out and make a difference. I can inspire and empower people around the world, whether it's on a Zoom call or whether it's in an auditorium that has 300, 500, 1,000 people, in a boardroom that has 25 people. I get a chance to coach people one-on-one and mentor them. Why do I do this? I do this because I know that tomorrow's not promised. And I'm going out swinging. I'm going out swinging each and every day. And because I'm going out swinging each and every day, I don't have time to sit around and dwell on what I don't have or dwell on what people said or dwell on perception or dwell on what negativity is coming my way. I only have time to dwell on what I'm going to do today and tomorrow to leave my legacy. That's what I say to someone out there who's feeling as if the hood mentality has got them down. Wellness and well-being is certainly starting to sit front and centre when it comes to not only life, but when we look at how workplaces and organisations can support it. Ruth Kent, in episode 13, touched on what she's noticed and also what habits she has in her life to help her keep balance. Through the work that you're doing with organisations, with companies, and I know you work with, with many, what are some of the things that they're implementing to increase wellness and well-being and that focus within their organisations? Well, I think, you know, like I said, all of them are different and some of them, some of the companies are still coming at it with a bit of a paintbrush approach to say like, oh, look, we've got, we've got free yoga or we've got free meditation classes or here's a couple of workshops. But a lot of them are now starting to pay a lot more attention to the mental well-being and the physical well-being of the staff. And as I said, there's legislation now to mandate that they start looking at the impact that that's having on, on people and that companies do have to take some ownership in how they contribute to people's mental well-being and, and also physical well-being, which is obviously with the health and safety that we've already got in place. I think people are starting to step up a lot more and also to understand that we, it is a, a work in progress. You don't have to have, like the workplaces don't have to have it all figured out. I think it's the open-mindedness to say, well, we don't really know what to do, but can we have a conversation? Can we have some support? We're trying to implement things. And, and like I said, some of some workplaces, they're trying to bring these things in 
They're trying to show their employees that they care and that they're supporting them. It's just not always hitting the mark. And so you've got to, um, you've got to have a good look and think about, okay, before you start running like a series of workshops or before you start running a series of mindfulness classes, what do the people actually need? Do they actually need to work on their communication? Is there some kind of toxicity in teams, a certain team? Is there burnout? Do we need to address these things first before we kind of paint it over with some classes? And those are the ones that are uh, more effective. And, you know, the workplaces, all workplaces are having to have a look at this now, but the ones who are doing it well, they're doing it, they're building their brand at the same time. You know, people want to go there. And I think when we look at millennials and you know, the newer generations coming through, they know that that's what they want and that's what they're asking their employers for when they go to an interview. Like it's not, do you have office perks? Like, do I get free fruit at lunchtime? It's not that so much anymore. It's, you know, how are you going to support me with my stress, my financial stress, my, my balance in life? Because we all know it's really tough at the moment and it's just, it's getting harder. With your wellness and wellbeing journey, what are some of the habits that you put into place to, to keep you at the top of your game? I, I, I have a few. <laughs> so, uh, but ha- having said that, circumstances can change things. So having two children, it goes up and down like most things and just trying to fit in around it. But I always do try to have some, some sort of mindfulness or meditation as much as possible in the mornings. So I start my day with a minimum of five minutes if I can, up to 20, 30 minutes in a luxurious day. Most days actually is 20 minutes these days as my kids are a little older. That's one start and some sort of movement is another big one. So whether that's a 5, 10, 15, 20 minute short workout, if I can get a walk down along the water or if I can go for a swim or do some yoga for a longer session, then that's definitely what I do. And just making some good choices with my food and trying to get enough sleep. Those are the big ones for me. Sleep has been hard over the last, you know, my son is seven, nearly seven. So I don't know if I've slept properly for seven years or so, but I try my best. And I've lately started to really make it a priority because I've realized after my second child, how much, you know, how important it is. So yeah, those are the big ones. The midlife male himself, Greg Scheinman, joined me to talk going from mediocre to maximised in midlife. Have a listen to him talking in episode 14 about what he changed and how he started living more intentionally. He also touches on a strategy he uses to push, challenge and grow himself quarterly, whether that be mentally or physically. Well, at least for me, in my experience, as I've started to live more intentionally, as I've started to really put more thought into my actions, more design, if you will. You know, one of the things I say is that, hey, mediocrity happens by default, maximization happens by design. You know, how can you really start to design what your days look like, what you put on your body, what you put in your body, what you're doing with your time, what the choices, again, that you're making and the actions that you're taking over the last, you know, three years in particular, which I call that, that kind of tipping point window for me from 47 years old to 50. Now I'm I'm going to be 51 in December, when you start acting and operating with greater intentionality and ultimately with greater purpose and process, ultimately the payoff becomes that much, much better. These things that we're talking about happen for a reason. We start to attract and repel exactly what we deserve. These opportunities that we didn't have before start to present themselves. And 
life starts to change. You can call it transformation. You can call it reinvention. I tend to lean towards more of release. You know, a lot of times I hear that midlife is all about reinvention and reinventing yourself. And Greg, you've reinvented yourself. And I, and I don't totally buy that, Steve. Yep. What I do buy into is that I've released myself. Like who I am is who I've always, it's always been in there. It's just been this time of my life where I've had an opportunity to take advantage of it and lean into it and embrace more of the curiosity, more of the authenticity, more, and just allow that to be more prevalent. Allow that to be the forward real, you know, me that's out there rather than the one who has been conforming, you know, has been going through the redundancy and the, and the conforming that goes on with, with a lot of, of middle-aged guys where we just are going through the motions and year after year, we lose pieces of ourselves until we wake up one day and we look in the mirror and we're barely recognizable. And at that point, you got a real hard decision to make. You know, am I going to continue down this path and or am I going to make some changes? What I love is every quarter you do something that challenges you. Tell me about that. Yeah, this has been also something I learned or kind of adopted. You know, Jesse Itzler is super, super popular out there. If you're not familiar with Jesse Itzler, I highly recommend you you take a look at him. He's done done some extraordinary things and continues to do some extraordinary things into into his 50s. One thing I took from Jesse was that he's a master of, of, of using the calendar and putting big challenges on his calendar in advance, setting goals and then, and then getting after them. And this was something I was not making a lot of time for years ago or almost any time for years ago. Thinking I can't get out of the office or I can't take a trip away from the family or anything else like this. You know, I'm focused on this is what you're supposed to do and, and putting yourself second, third, or ultimately last in a lot of the, the equations. And it's just another one of those things that I had wrong. Um, self-care is not selfish. It's actually one of the most selfless things you can do. So I started putting things on my calendar. What I chose to do is I can afford to do one thing per quarter, if you will. Maybe different for, for everybody else. And by afford, that's not just monetarily or financially. It's I can afford the time or I can afford the, the training or whatever it is that may go into what it is that you, you set your, your goal at or what it is that you want to do because it's also important to set yourself up for, for success. I think with these things, rather, rather than fail you're, and then put more pressure on yourself and so on and so forth. But yeah, I put something different on the calendar every quarter. It doesn't always have to be physical. And it has been everything from the 29029 Everesting Challenge, where you do go climb the equivalent of Mount Everest in 36 hours, to weekend events like high performance lifestyle training, where you'll go through Navy SEAL activations and everything. But it's also been a week at Soul at Soul Degree, you know, with with men like yourself. It's also been, you know, a week at Modern Elder Academy in Todos Santos. It has also been a keynote speaking course. You know, and getting up on stage and delivering a keynote in front of hundreds of people. So it can really be anything you want it to be. It's just got to be what's important to you. What do you want to take on or what do you want to try? What do you want to learn? So right now I'm busy planning 2024, thinking about what that list of possibilities looks like. And then ultimately from the list of possibilities, what's probable? 
what can we, like, how does it line up? The timing, the cost, everything, you know, in there. So I start with what am I naturally gravitating towards and what seems interesting? I scour and I look again, I aggregate, then I curate down to what I think looks interesting to me and I want to do. Kick out the stuff that for whatever reason falls by the wayside, is not probable, doesn't line up timing-wise or anything else. And then go, okay, what does the four, four events in 2024 really look like? So that's where I am right now. With a smile on her face and an infectious energy to match, Kate Stossel certainly delivered when it came to talking life as well as health and fitness in episode 15. Kate devotes herself to helping people with their health and fitness, from the very elite competitors to those just wanting to improve their overall health. She's been through challenges of her own, which she shares how she went about working through and overcoming them. You'll also hear her answer on what success means to her. What does success mean to you? I knew you were going to ask me this. I think that success is doing absolutely everything you can with regards to what is important to you. That could be sport, that could be relationships. There are so many that could be career. But I think if you are managing your life and aiming towards in the direction of what you find important, then that that is a successful life. I don't think that it's it's almost with racing, it's the training and the progress towards race day that really is where you'll see the success. Like the race day is just one race day. Mm. For me, a successful life is being able to identify what's important to you and and to constantly work on achieving what you you feel is important. And we're we're all humans. We all fail. You know, I say things all the time that I wish I hadn't, or I approach things and I think next time maybe I would have approached that differently. But I think success is being able to have a look at what you've done in the past and juxtapose that against where you'd like to be in the future and be able to alter the way you approach things. And I think that's a big thing, being able to go, maybe I wasn't right or maybe I could have done that better. I think that that's really, I really admire people who can say, I was wrong and this is what I'm going to do next time. Because winning a race doesn't mean you've got a successful life. It means you've won a race mm-hmm. and you've won one race and, and you might have a medal that sits in your cupboard or on your wall. Yep. But I don't think that that's a real reflection of I'm very big on who people are as people before they are athletes or anything else. And so success for me isn't medals or money or career status. It's, it's more being able to look at your life and reflect on how you could make it better to impact yourself and how you can make it better to impact others as well. Yeah. I asked that question because everyone's view on success is different, but because we look at so many people in life and people look at us sometimes and go, oh, you're so successful, right? Yeah. And sometimes things behind you at the time can be absolutely crumbling. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yep. And we all put on a show. We all walk out the door with a smile on our face and pretend that our lives are perfect. And I think that's the downfall of social media, Strava. Hmm. Strava is a bad one for comparison. I think anyone who is a high-performing athlete and puts excess pressure on themselves needs to just get off Strava because it's just a platform to compare and then panic. Hmm. It doesn't have to be envy of somebody else. I wish I was like them. It's more, why aren't I doing what they're doing? Or why aren't I as fast as them? Or there's social media. There's so many platforms now where we can attack each other and compare with each other and or just show the rose-colored glasses version of ourselves. Yeah. I remember back when I was running, I didn't get caught up in the Strava whole segment thing, but it was funny when you'd be running with someone and then they'd just take off and you'd go, what are you doing? 
It's my segment. I've got, I've got to get king of the mountain. Yeah, I've got to keep the segment. Yeah, there's always, there's always going to be someone who's going to beat your segment, always. And there's always going to be someone who you might be the best, but you're starting to get older. And so there's more people moving through the ranks. You're never going to be on top. And that's why I don't think success is money or event outcomes or team selections because they're such a small portion of your entire life. Yeah. They might be success in that moment. You've won a race. So that is success in that moment, but it's not really success in life. It's just success in that one race. Yeah. My wife always talks about, everyone says, oh, you've got to be happy. And my wife always says that happiness is fleeting moments. Yes. You're not always happy. And same with success. Yep. Same with success. Same with motivation. I always have people say, how do you stay motivated? I'm like, well, I don't, but I stay disciplined. Knowing that motivation will come and motivation will go. There's times where I can't wait to train and there's times where I look at my program and think, oh, how am I going to get myself to the pool today because I just can't be bothered. Yep. And so it's just, it's really hard to not jump way ahead in the future as well, I think, when things aren't going your way to go, well, I've had really terrible training the last two weeks. I'm not as fast or my watts aren't the same or my pace isn't the same. So I'm going to fail at my event that's in seven months' time. And it's a real art to be able to go, that was just today. Tomorrow's a different day and tomorrow's a different day. And and that's what the professional athletes do. They will go, today's session was really dodgy. I didn't, didn't feel good. I was flat. I didn't hit the paces that my coach had put on my intervals. But then they go, tomorrow, what's my program say? And they've forgotten about what they did yesterday. They're focusing on they're focusing on the process of getting to their race. Mm. Not they're not focusing on the race. They're just focusing on the process. And I think as a as a general rule, most of us will look at a bad training session and go, there's no way I'm going to get through my race if I can't do this now, when you've got seven more months till your race. And so mm. if you can't do a 20K run now and you want to do a marathon in seven months, don't freak out that your 20K training run didn't end up successful. You've still got seven more months to train, but it is really natural to panic when you have a bad training session or you get ill to jump way ahead. That little voice in the back of your head that says, maybe you can't do this. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I think that that's where, and back to TTT and, and Jen and my athletes, it's very much when they have those doubts, let's have a meeting. What are you worried about? What can we do? How can we manage the panic? What, what will make you feel more confident? Because I'm happy to try and work into your training. What would make you more confident? Do you want longer runs? Or, and obviously, it's managing that around my knowledge of fatigue and recovery and all of those things. But there's two people involved in planning a program. I can't just tell you a program if I, I don't know how you're feeling and what your life circumstances are. And so I do check in multiple times a week with my athletes and I do check in at the start of each week, what's going on before I write your program, what do I need to work around. Things are big that are on. I'll give you a couple of days that are really low load. I don't think that there's a formula that works for anybody. I think it's something that's just constantly evolving. So I started taking the supplements that were recommended. I changed my job. So because basically working for someone who I was working a lot of hours a week and there wasn't a lot of motivation. I'm someone who does like to feel appreciated rather than being paid well. Mm. So giving me extra money but still keeping me in a stressful situation wasn't the answer for me to enjoy my job. So I changed my job, which helped a lot, and my diet. I did some research into things that are inflammatory to the nervous system, cut those out, and it was hard. It was hard. And I've come out the other end where I've been really restrictive for a long time and my body has healed and I can add some of those things back in, which is good. And, and it does help when I've got 
clients as, as well to kind of go, I can empathize. Like I understand that this is terrible. We all want to go out and eat cheese and wine at functions. Like we don't want to sit there and have the carrot sticks with the avocado dip and a glass of soda water because it's boring. But I had swallowing issues. I had neurological pain. I had leg weakness. I felt like I was walking through concrete all the time, like really heavy legs, muscle jerks and twists uh, and twitches, which stopped me from sleeping. And through the process of changing diet and adding supplements, they did just gradually and and managing stress, they did just resolve. So I do get flare-ups, but also I put myself in positions like, I guess, events that are hard where I expect to have a flare-up, but for my mental health, it's I know that this is a temporary thing. I'm putting my body under stress and then I'll be okay afterwards. It gives me, I think, doing the things that I do which are extreme to anyone, let alone someone with an autoimmune condition, are part of what gives me purpose and, and direction, I guess, which everyone needs. Yeah. Morgan T. Nelson has achieved financial freedom in his 20s and lives every day with a passion to help others do the same. He emerged from a dark place to not only reclaim his life, but to live and enjoy one by design. His reflections on episode 16 on hard versus easy might just change your mindset and he also shares his advice on navigating through tough times in life. Morgan, there's a lot of people online, social media, they make it all look easy but it's not easy, is it? Well, I don't know because compared to what? Because I would look at my life and I think my life is pretty easy because I think it would be a lot harder if I had to stay on the job site. I legitimately think my life would have been a lot harder if I had to stay at a carpenter, working 50 hours a week, not being with my partner, not being with my friends, not having freedom to just... If I want to just go on a holiday tomorrow, I, I can. And that's okay. Because carpenter, I, I couldn't do that. So I, I, I think any road you choose in life is going to be hard. It is hard. It is hard to go out there and continually face rejection. It is hard to go out there and have to learn new skills and wear many hats and build businesses and continually show up when you don't feel like doing it. It's fucking hard. 100% is. But it's also really hard to get to the end of your life and look back on everything you've lived and go, wow, I played it really safe. I was in my comfort zone the whole time. Hmm. I didn't take any risks. And I didn't bring any of my dreams to life. I think... I like. That like that's the thing that motivates me all the time is getting to the end of my life and knowing that I'm going to meet the person who I could have become if I actually went for it all. I believe I'm going to meet the person who actually tapped into all their potential. And when I meet them, I want them to be jealous of me. To go, fuck, you did good, man. Because I I really think we're going to get there and we're going to be like, here's what I could have done. If I had tapped into all my potential, here's also what I could have done if I let life just drift me by. So when you say like it's it's not it's not easy, kinda. It's kinda not easy, but I think the other road is far harder. I truly believe. But the problem is in the moments, in the moments it feels hard. Because if we do what's hard now, life will be easy. If we do what's easy, life will be hard. If there's someone listening to this, someone right there in that challenging time in their life at the moment, what's your biggest advice to get through that? The biggest advice would be, you've got to look at the people you're surrounded with. You've got to look at this. And if they're listening to this podcast, they've already got an idea that they're actually wanting to do better things in life. Yep. They're not just going to accidentally, this isn't played on the tradie radio, right? So if the awareness is already there that you want something more, you've got to adapt and evolve and get into the environment of people that are also like it. 
because psychologists, they did studies on human beings on the power of our environment. And what they realized is they put four people in a room and they drew four lines on the board. One of the lines was double the size of the other one. And they go A, B, C, D. Three of the people came in, they were paid actors. They were told, choose A. The real person comes in and he had to choose and they said to them, okay, guys, go ahead and choose which line stands out from the rest. So they all choose A and the actor looks and goes, what the fuck? No, it's D. It's D. And he circles D. And they do it again. They come in, the real guy, he's doubting himself a little bit more now. He's like, what the hell? No, it's D, guys. And he circles it again. By the time the fourth, fifth, or sixth time, this real person comes in and what he does is he waits for the others to vote and he vote and he follows them and he votes the exact same one. Yep. So what studies have shown us is that it's more important for us to fit in with the people around us than it is for us to stand out and actually be right and pursue the things that we know are true for us. Yep. So for someone who's going for a hard time and they're like, I want to create more stuff and you got to look around the people you're around because it's probably hard right now because you're surrounded by people that don't believe in you because they don't believe in themselves. You're surrounded by people that have given up on their dreams. How I also explain it is a world of black and white and a world of color. Everyone's living in a world of black and white until the one day you climb up the fence and you peek over and you see color and you're like, holy shit, this is a painful place to be because now you're aware of what could be, but you're holding onto the fence still. Mm. And what a lot of people do here, and I did it for a long time, held the fence and I try to convince everybody in black and white land that color existed. Guys, you should come take a look at it. Have a look. It's color. It's like green and yellow and shit. And they can't even understand those words. And they're like, you're an idiot. What are you talking about? There's no such thing. Because down from their perspective on the ground, it's only black and white. What are you talking about? This guy's lost the plot. Put him in the loony bin. Mm. Just get rid of him. And in fact, this goes back not even that long ago. Nikola Tesla was put into a psych ward because they thought he was going fucking crazy. One of the smartest people who ever lived because he's talking about shit that other people couldn't see and they thought he was, he was spastic, right? So eventually, you're trying to convince all these people black and white and they say, oh, you know, there's no such thing as color. We lost great uncle Jerry to that fence two years ago. You know, he never came back. And I'll tell you why. I've been over to the world of color. There's a reason why great uncle Jerry didn't come back <laughs> because once you can see the world that you actually want and you're holding onto the fence, imagine the fence is like a barbed wire fence. The longer you hold on, the, pain, the more painful it gets. The longer you hold on and you try to convince others to come with you, you're just dragging yourself down and your hands are getting caught and it's painful. So what needs to happen is to actually make the decision to leap over that fence and dive into that world. And it's going to be scary because you get to get over there and you're going to be alone. You're like, oh, I don't have my safety blanket. And that's back to the whole comfort zone thing we are talking about earlier. Yep. Diving into this, but then actually getting around people that have the results you want. Last but certainly not least, I caught up with a passionate optimist who lights up a room as she did this podcast in episode 17. As founder of Luminate Leadership and co-host of the Lead with Courage podcast, Cherie Canning shares what she thinks makes a good leader, as well as touches on a couple of her favorite quotes she lives by. And in your opinion, what have you found makes a great leader? Mm, I think there's multiple levels. I, I do think it's the head and the heart so that there's that element of knowing why they're doing it and what they need to do. I think fundamentally a great leader of people is someone who genuinely cares. And I don't mean you need to go and sit, have lunch with everyone and be best friends, but if you don't have a genuine, authentic care for the well-being 
and growth of your people, leadership's going to be challenging. So I, I think there's that element. I do believe the authenticity and the growth mindset, the skills can be learned and can be built upon, but the the want and the desire to want to make an impact where it's something bigger than yourself. So leadership is not about you. It's about the people that you are leading and in service of. So I believe it's that mindset that people walk in and realize that it's not about them. They will make mistakes and that's okay. Keep with that growth mindset and just curiosity. I think a curiosity to learn, to understand other people. And then that's where those heart characteristics come in, then a curiosity with empathy, a curiosity with the courage to speak up and be who you truly are. So yeah, there's a bit to that, but I I think fundamentally you do care about the well-being of people and you're authentically you showing up with a growth mindset. And Sheree, that type of leadership then builds culture? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. What do you reckon? I think so. Definitely. Culture comes from the top. I've seen so many business over time, organizations that I've been with, especially in the real estate where people go, right, we need a a culture leader. And Mark and I talk about this where he's involved himself in different companies and organizations and they go, the leader or the owner says, right, I need need someone to look after culture. And he's like, you're it, buddy. That's you. Yeah, totally. And look, I think to that completely, I think that the leader, the owner, whatever the role at the, at the top is, and that team are responsible for setting the tone and setting the direction. So having clear values, clear vision, clear sets of standards of the way that we want to interact internally and with our customers. And then it's also the team, isn't it? Because the leader could have this vision of, of what we want it to be. You need to model that behavior. And then the team also need to be bought in on it. So mm. I think Culture is an everyone event and it must be led by the leader. And then if you're talking about culture committees and different things here, there's, it's also knowing your strengths. So if that means you dedicate, you know, delegate to someone that they're going to organize the monthly reward and recognition barbecue, great. But yeah, they're not in charge of the culture. They're in charge of creating an event that, that supports the culture. But yeah, it's funny. I, I feel like the word culture is almost... It's quite difficult because people will say, oh, they're not a culture fit. I hear it all the time. Oh, this person didn't fit the way that we operate here or our culture and beautiful. So define to me, tell me what is your culture? Give me in a sentence or in a few words, what is the culture of your organization? And often people will struggle to be able to define exactly what it is. And so then we're setting, we're not always setting people up for success. If we haven't been able to explain or articulate what it looks like, what success looks like here or what the barriers to success are, then how do you expect people to meet that expectation if they're not clear on what it is? So often I think it's articulating what we do want to see and also what we don't want to see. Cherie, is there some favorite quotes that you live by? Yes, I have one, this too shall pass. And I really believe in that around the good times really embracing the good times and knowing that not in a morbid way, but you know, time will pass. So really make the most of it. Don't take it for granted. And at the same time in the challenging times, this will also pass. Hmm. So just endure it. And the other is there are two times in life now and too late. Hmm. So I really just love about being in the present moment and taking the opportunities when they're here. Well, that's a wrap 2023. I hope you've enjoyed the stories, reflections, thoughts, and ideas that Share Podcast has delivered this year. We've got more amazing guests lined up for 2024, and I look forward to continuing to connect with you as we navigate the journey ahead together. 
For now, though, kick back, reflect, relax, and enjoy the New Year celebrations. I'll see you next week as I catch up with a man focused on building better humans, Mr. Glenn Azar. Are you planning your next holiday? Let the team at Mind and Body Travel inspire you. With a focus on wellness and well-being, the team at Mind and Body Travel can assist you whether you're looking to attend a retreat, test yourself on an adventure, tick off that bucket list trip, or just create a travel itinerary that includes all that you want in a holiday while taking into account all that your mind and body needs. Revolutionising the way people look at holidays and travel, they believe that travel should deliver nourishment for your soul, clarity for your mind, and renewed focus upon your return. So are you ready to take off? Then it's time to check in with the team at Mind and Body Travel. Just visit www.mindandbodytravel.com. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. It's been great to have you along for the ride. Remember to hit subscribe and share this episode with a friend. Maybe just one person you think could benefit from what was just shared. Also, if you haven't connected with me yet, you can find me on Instagram at the Steve Hodgson and also share underscore underscore podcast. I'll catch you on the next episode.